We're going through the whole chapter, starting from verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV 2011. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich, you have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we, we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the, to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have, begun, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He'll remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with that I teach everywhere in every church. This is the word of the Lord.
Can you? Happy Mother's Day, you may be seated. Shall we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for, again, this day, a day when we have the opportunity to honour, to be grateful to, and to spoil our mums, or those special aunties or grandmothers who have loved us and cared for us and spoiled us, who have demonstrated your unconditional love. We are grateful for them, but we are grateful, Lord, to you because you're the one who provides. So too, you have provided your word and your spirit now for us in this service. We ask that you might speak to us, that you might enlighten us, that you might continue the process of shaping us, that we might be faithful, passionate followers of Jesus, serving and honouring him. For it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said... We... Um, have been, we're in a series on Corinthians and we find ourselves now in chapter 4. My job this morning is to try to do all of chapter 4. We probably won't get the whole chapter done um, because I'll focus a bit more on the top half. There is one correction to bring to the bulletin. I think the bulletin will say that uh, Brendan is speaking tonight. Uh, Brendan's not speaking tonight. Um, so I'm backing up again tonight. So what I don't get done this morning, if I don't get to the last paragraph, I might do that tonight. That might be fun. Something different. Uh, Brendan was down to uh, teach God's Word tonight, but he asked me on Friday if uh, he could uh, not do that. He had a four and a half thousand word essay due yesterday, and so he needed to focus on that. And so I said, yep, sure, that'll be fine. Um, so pray for Brendan as he continues his studies at Malian College and so on, and Josh and Daniel, and they're hitting that time period in the semester where they've got assignments and things due. And I think everybody knows, don't they, that's... Caitlin is expecting. Did you know that? What an overwhelmingly warm response. We're all excited for it. No, most of us are excited for you. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And if you're visiting, if you're, you're here because of Mother's Day, and you either thought you'd bring mum or... Come with mum or whatever brings you here this morning, we are certainly glad that you're here as well and trust that God will do business with you. There are no accidents in our world. It's all under his divine hand and he watches over all of us. And he has something, I'm sure, that he wants to say to you today. So let me encourage you to be listening. The Apostle Paul has been writing to a church that he was the father of, the spiritual father of. On Mother's Day, I be nice to say, the spiritual mother of, but he's a bloke, so he's got to be a father. The church had gotten off track. As I said a few weeks back, that they were a church just like us, people just like us, with issues just like us. And so what the, whole, what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul to them, we need to be listening carefully because he'll be saying similar things to us, as indeed he does in this chapter. Chapter 4 is the end of the first major second of, section of Corinthians. The themes that he has raised already, he is now going to sort of bring together into this one chapter. And there are about six or seven points that the Apostle Paul wants to make that are each relevant for us. He does it, his argument goes like this. 
that the Corinthians had gotten off track and they'd started to become inward focused. They were a church which was, you know, a hodgepodge of humanity from different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds, different religious experiences and so on. And when they became followers of the Lord Jesus, they were still babes in Christ. They're only about 18 months old. So they're still learning and growing and developing. But they were very proud. And in their pride, they were very loud. And they mistakenly started to follow people or prefer people instead of preferring the Lord of the people that they were proud of. They'd got their eyes onto human leaders instead of acknowledging and realising that those human leaders are appointed by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, and that they, as Paul says in this chapter, are to be seen as servants, as stewards, as indeed we all are. The Corinthians, because of that focus, were boastful, they were divided, they were factional, they were worldly, they were carnal. Church was becoming toxic. Uh, That which God deliberately put together, this hodgepodge of humanity was to demonstrate unity. That amidst all of the difference, they were still one. That was God's intention. Satan's intention, the spiritual enemy of humankind, his intention is to take those very differences that we have and to amplify the differences and to divide. God wants to unite us in our differences. Satan wants to divide. And the Apostle Paul has been addressing that very issue. And he does it very subtly. He does it almost from an Asian perspective. He does it not directly, he does it indirectly. The Corinthian church had certain favourite leaders. And the Apostle Paul uses numerous times throughout these first few chapters, as indeed he does again here. He talks about, You say I follow Paul and you say I follow Apollos and you say I follow this other guy called Cephas, Peter and you say I follow this other one. And he's deliberately using these itinerant preachers, teachers or apostles who are not part of the church to actually attack the issue of the leaders who were in the church. He's just not naming them. He's naming himself and he's naming Apollos and he's naming Peter because they're a safe bet. And he's hoping that they'll pick up on the message. Oh, we're not to follow those leaders. Oh, we're not to follow these leaders. We are to be a church together. That's what he says um, in the middle of this, verse 6. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. I'm using this as an illustration, and I hope you get it. That's what he's saying. Well, what are the sorts of things that he does say? Well, let's start at verse 1, work our way through and see how we go with these roundabout seven different concepts if we get that far. Firstly, the Apostle Paul says, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Servants. The word Paul uses is an unusual word. It's not the normal word that is used for servant in the New Testament. The word that he uses and some of you will be aware of this, is quite literally an under-rower. An under-rower. It's a picture word of the Roman galleys. You know those huge ships that they used to have? Have you seen the movie Ben-Hur? Put up your hand if you have seen the movie Ben-Hur. 
Hmm, about two dozen. I thought we were older than that. There you go. In the movie anyway, there was this large Roman galley. They, the Athenians started to build it 500 years BC. The Romans copied them and they had these large ships, but they were driven not just by wind, by sail, but by oars. And on the very large ones, they had various rows, decks of oars, up to three. And the word Paul is using is he is an under rower. He's on the bottom level. He's down at sea level. He's... They are the least valued slaves. They were the ones who would drown. Or they were the ones who, if the ship got rammed or something, they would be the ones who would be killed. They were the least valuable. That's the word Paul uses for himself. Not just for himself. He's saying this applies to all the Paul, Apollos, all of those leaders. It applies to the leaders in the church. It applies to elders. It applies to management leaders, ministry leaders. It does not apply to pastors. course it applies to pastors it applies to anybody in leadership we are under rowers the the word then that's what it literally means but then like all words just like in English words take on changes in meaning as the as it's used as people use it and sometimes use it incorrectly and a word can be used incorrectly literally but it's used so often incorrectly that it becomes its new meaning does that make sense Check out the dictionary when you go home. This is just nothing to do really with what I want to say. But We use the word sarcasm a lot in our culture when really what we mean is facetiousness. But we use the word sarcasm inaccurately and we've been doing it for so long now, it's now become the accepted meaning of it. Get it? Not important if you don't. Words evolve, that's the point. So this word under rower also evolved and it moved from meaning literally the person who was literally the under rower to being a person who was simply under the orders of another, an apprentice. That's what it came to mean. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, that here he is, he's the under rower. He's one amongst 300 slaves and he is pulling and pushing. It's in and out to the beat of a drum by the pilot who was above him. In, out, in, out, or a slower pace. He marches to the beat of a drum from the pilot who was above. There's a great picture for a Christian, isn't it? We are servants, marching to the directions of the one who is above us, Jesus. We are servants of Christ, the Apostle Paul says. That's how you should look upon us. How should you view the pastoral team? Servants of Jesus. Seeking to listen to him. How should you view the pastors of the church? Servants of Jesus. Appointed by him to serve his people. If I took what Paul was saying in the first four chapters, then I would say this to you. You can think and you can feel because we are people and we have preferences. You either like AFL, NFL, NRL or soccer. Or you're a very wise, intelligent person. You don't like any form of football at all. We have differences. So you might think and feel. I actually like that person's teaching, but I don't like that one. 
You might say, I prefer Pastor David, or I prefer Pastor D Alvin, or I prefer Pastor Daryl, or I prefer the students. They're too old and out of date. I prefer the students. I prefer Josh, or I prefer Brendan, who's no longer a student in training, or Daniel, the young, up-and-coming one. You can think it, you can feel it, that's okay. Just don't say it. Amen. That's the point. Keep those divisive opinions to yourself. It's okay to have them, but it's when you form little cliques. That's where the enemy, you see, has taken the differences to make the division, whereas God wants to keep us all together. Okay, servants. A servant is a person who is obedient to the master, who is above them, his desire is to please the master. The servant's desire is to do what the master wants them to do. We servants are not called to be creative or innovative or successful, in a sense. They're called to be obedient, they're called to be faithful, they're called to be reliable, they're called to be diligent, which very well may issue into creative, innovative and successful things. But that's not the purpose. The purpose, the requirement is that they are faithful to what the master wants them to do. That's what Paul goes on to talk about. He says, secondly, we are servants of Christ as those who are, the NIV says, entrusted with the mysteries of God. The word he uses there is a steward, the household manager. It's a picture of, in the ancient world, of the guy who was in charge of the whole household. I guess in the 19th century England, it'd be the butler. He was in charge of the staff, he was in charge of the pantry, he was in charge of the cleaning, he was in charge if there was an estate, he was in charge of the labour of what was going on over there. The steward was someone who was appointed by the owner, by the master to say, this is the job that I want you to do. I'm trusting you to be reliable and to do this. That's what Jesus would be saying to mums. I'm trusting you with this child. That's what he says to fathers what he says to pastors and elders and ministry leaders I've got a job for you to do and I'm trusting you to do the job stewards and the requirement of stewards the one thing is that they are to be trustworthy faithful reliable not in it for themselves in it to be obedient to him and then the Apostle Paul goes on, and this is where he is particularly applying it to this divided church that was so proud and so divided by following certain factions. He says, verse 3, Now I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. They were obviously saying some bad things about him. And he's writing back, and you've really got to read this carefully. When you read it just on the surface, it sounds like Paul is going, I don't care if you judge me. I don't care what you think. That's not what he's saying. But it can certainly seem like it on the surface. I think what the Apostle Paul is doing is that he's setting them an example that as servants and as stewards, we are not to be driven by the opinions of others. We're to be driven by his directions. 
And so this is more of an example of his attitude of how he copes when people judge him, whether it's a judgment which is positive, they praise him, or whether it's a judgment which is negative, where they criticise him. The Apostle Paul says, that's not where the main match is. I care very little what people say about me. In fact, I don't even judge myself, he says, because I'm fallen, fallible and limited as well. My judgment is just as reliable as other people's judgment. The judgment that is important, it's not what people say, it's not what I say. The judgment that is important is what he says. He's the owner. He's the master. We are servants and stewards. And we are to operate on that basis. That's to be our focus. To look forward to his commendation. His is the only evaluation that will really matter. Because ultimately he is the only one who knows it all. People are very limited They don't know the full circumstances. They certainly don't know the motivations of the heart. It's impossible for us to know that of others. And so we can only give an indication. It's fallible. It can be helpful. It's certainly helpful to receive positive affirmation, encouragement, but it's also helpful to receive admonishment and correction and to take that on board, not simply to dismiss it. But what you mustn't do is to take the positive affirmations or the admonishment, the criticism, which are constructive criticisms, what you are not to do is to take that and to say, that's it, I've arrived, I'm successful. No, 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 no. That's not the judgment that counts. It's his judgment that counts. You must take that and evaluate it and say, well, is that helpful? Is it not helpful? Some of it you've got to respond to. If your weaknesses are identified, then by all means, pray about it and seek to improve If it's very positive and it's affirming, don't rest on your laurels. Don't coast to the end. You're a servant and a steward. Continue to serve the Lord. That's basically what the Apostle Paul is saying. We are servants and we are stewards. It's required of us to be faithful. And when it comes to evaluation, like the Corinthians were certainly critical of others, when it comes to evaluation, it's not that one, it's that one, him doing it. Then the middle paragraph, the Apostle Paul, 6 to 13, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit. And there are three things here. Number one, so that you might learn the principle. Don't go beyond what is written. An important biblical principle. Don't go beyond what is written. In Isaiah chapter 8, he says the same biblical principle. He says, if people come to you when they've got dreams and they've got visions and if they mutter and stutter and they speak in strange languages, to the book. If they don't speak according to the book, to the light that we have been given, then then dismiss them. You can still hear me, can't you? To the book. Do exactly what the book says. That's the principle Paul is outlining for them. Don't go beyond what is written. Thanks, Steve. I feel like the power's gone out of the place now. (laughs) Don't go beyond what is written. First principle. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. Don't go beyond the principles that I've written to you. Don't go beyond the principles of what God's word says to you, which says... 
teaches us what we are to do with leaders. Leaders are to be respected. Leaders are to be followed. But leaders are not to be blindly followed. We follow the leaders as they teach us faithfully God's word. God's word has authority and they are under his authority as we are under his authority. Don't go beyond what is written. Stay true to the text of scripture. That's the first principle that he's given to us. The second principle he corrects them on is um, in verse 7. Who makes you different from one another? from anyone else what do you have that you didn't receive well if you received it what do you go around boasting as if you've done something you know stupendous and creative and whatever it's been given to you God is the one who gave you your education God is the one who gave you your gifts and talents God is the one who gave you your intelligence and your personality God is the one who has resourced you with finances and with a job and with relationships it's all from him Oh, what are you doing boasting as if it's you? It's not you, it's him. The principle is, because God is the one who makes a difference in us, we ought to allow and recognise those differences and receive them with thanksgiving to him. Not that we must all be the same, we won't be. And that also therefore means we are not to have an attitude of being superior, to think that we're better than others level playing ground at the foot of the cross no one is above another pastors pastoral team leaders are not to lord it over they don't have the authority to do that he's the lord they have a responsibility to lead they have a function and members sheep have a responsibility to follow and submit to respect it's a tandem relationship working together What do you have that you didn't receive? Well, nothing. And that's what we take with us when we go. On that very point, let me just expand this a little bit for us practically. If God is the one who made you the way you are, listen carefully. Then be who you are. Be the person God made you to be. Not with the sin and not with the weaknesses. But be the person God wants you to be. Be that person for him. And that's the evaluation that will count. Nothing else. You should be yourself. Everyone else is taken. There's only one you. To illustrate this, I've done this at a leaders get-together that we've done here at Sunnybank. Is I'm right-handed. Try this exercise when you get home. If you're right-handed... Use your left hand. If you're left-handed, use your right hand. Use your other hand, which is your natural writing hand. If you're ambidextrous, use your mouth. (laughs) What I want you to do is with, so for me, I'm right-handed, so with my left hand, I just want to write my signature. Right? And having done that, just reflect, what was that like? Now, I've done this a couple of times with some of our leaders, and these are the responses that we get. When you write with your hand, which is not your natural hand, then it's hard to do. It's awkward and it can be uncomfortable. It certainly takes more effort and it requires more concentration. Not just in the shaping of the letters, but sometimes you've even got to stop and think how to spell your own name. Uh, What's next? Because you're doing something which is not 
natural. It's stopping and starting. It doesn't quite flow as easily. You have to certainly concentrate a lot more. And at the end of the day, the result is terrible. Looks awful. So too, for every one of you, where you are operating and serving in an area where God has not gifted you, where he hasn't shaped you, where you're trying to do what you are not. Make sense? You will find it rec- it's hard work, it requires more effort, uh, it requires more concentration and more energy, it's less satisfying, it doesn't flow as easily, and at the end of the day, it looks awful. So it's a matter of be the person God made you to be. Use the gifts that he gave you to use. Be that person and be obedient to him. Who makes a difference among us? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he's challenging them. Well, God is the one who made the difference. Well, then stop boasting about certain leaders. God is the one who made them different. And thank him for those differences. Imagine if every pastor was just like me. That illustrates it rather well, doesn't it? I'm not going anywhere else with that either, by the way. Then he goes on, he gives a third. Now, this is where Paul becomes facetious. But we use the word sarcastic. Does he intend to hurt them? Or is he trying lovingly to correct them? He's facetious. It's motivated by love. Sarcasm, motivated by a desire to hurt. But like I said, we are using sarcasm now in the sense of good intentions as well. Anyway, Paul says, verse 8, Already you have all you want, you think. Already you've become rich, you think. You've begun to reign, and that without us. I wish you had begun to reign, because if you had begun to reign, then Jesus would be back and we'd be reigning and it would be all over. I wish that was the case, but it isn't. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die on the arena. We've become a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are wise. We are weak. But you're strong. We are dishonored. But you are honored. See what the Apostle Paul is saying? You Corinthians have a perspective that you've already arrived, that you have it all spiritually, that you are in fact reigning in Christ, that you are strong and honoured and powerful. You have it all. When the very leaders that I've been using, Paul, Apollos and Peter and so on, those very leaders are the opposite. They're weak and they're struggling and they're rejected by the world. They're being faithful to the gospel. Implication? But you're not. If we follow Christ in secret, if we keep the gospel to ourselves, if we remain silent, it's quite possible we'll get along with the world. But if we are faithful stewards and servants, if we teach the gospel, if we share the gospel, if we live in the light of the gospel of God's word, then the world will be offended by us. It resents being brought into the light of God's truth. Spiritual darkness cannot stand the light. So 
So Paul is challenging their perspective. And even today in the world today, some Christians have the perspective, just like the Corinthians did, that we have it all. We are sons and daughters of God. We reign with him now in spiritual realms. We have these spiritual gifts and we just have to name the name of Jesus and exercise authority over people. We need to name it and confess it and claim it. God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be rich. He wants us to prosper. It's the prosperity gospel. And their perspective is, that's what God wants for us now. And this passage is saying, actually, it's the other way around. We're not home yet. That's what it's going to be like when we are in the kingdom. And so until that day, we are servants and stewards. We are to be faithful. There will be ups and there will be downs. There will be highs and there will be lows. There will be difficulties and there will be blessings. It's a journey. The Apostle Paul is reminding these Corinthians of. We're not home yet. So that raises the question the Apostle Paul is asking who are you living for? You're living for yourself or you're living for him? It's a pretty strong, contrasting question. Who are you living for? Imagine two circles. In the first circle, that's me or you. <clears throat> If all of the arrows point in to this circle, the world is all about me and my perspective is about what I like, what I want, what I get out of things, how I am served. <clears throat> then when I come to a gathering like this of God's community, God's church, God's people, if I'm focused on me and the other person is focused on them and that person's focused on them, then all we will do is bounce off one another. There'll be no connections. There'll be no community. There'll be no unity. But if you're a servant and a steward and you want to be faithful to him and your focus is not on you, but it's on him and on serving him with others, if the arrows of the second circle point out, and if they all point out, then this circle the arrows are pointing out and this circle the arrows are pointing out, then in each of these ones, there are points of connection between each of them. Does that make sense? Not quite? Let me say it bluntly. And this is probably um, the most common illustration, not just throughout history, but also throughout countries and cultures. If we come to church... And if I pick music or if I pick songs, I could pick all other sorts of things, but that's the most widespread one. I, I have a particular musical taste that I like. <clears throat> we don't play it here, but we will in heaven. Um, it's country and western. That's it. <laughs> it worked. Just so you know, you might want to listen to some country and western because eternity is going to be full of it. <laughs> anyway, if you come to church saying, I like this particular sort of music or I like these particular sort of songs, if, it's a, if you're this person, then you're going to sit there and you're not going to be receiving anything because you don't like that. Or if, you know, if I don't like that person, then you're not going to be connecting. It's about you. 
But if you're over here, if you're an outward focused person, it's not about me, but it's about us. It's about him. Then we're singing a song that I don't particularly like, but it's got truth in it, so I engage in it for him. I'm seeking to honour him and so on. See the difference? So too at morning tea, so too at all the other sorts of avenues, whether we're inward focused or outward focused makes the big difference. The Corinthian church had become inward focused. They were focused on themselves, what they liked, what they wanted. And the Apostle Paul is seeking to correct them. We're not home yet. And God has placed a hodgepodge of people together, have all different sorts of likes and preferences. Um, And we are to be patient and giving and accepting and understanding of one another. Oh, Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying with that illustration. That doesn't mean uh, that anything goes. Uh-uh, I'm not saying that either. Uh, there is a standard, there is a process, there are things that we need to tighten up, there are things that we can do safely which are encouraging for one another and there are things that we will stop doing. Yeah, because it's not helpful. Understand? I won't do the last paragraph, I'll do it tonight. Here is what the Apostle Paul has said. What's our identification? We are servants and we are stewards. What's the requirement of us? Faithful, reliable. What's the evaluation that will count? His. So therefore let's aim to please him and not to be people pleasers or to be distracted and deflected because of what people say or think. Don't go beyond what is written. Stick to the text, the revelation of God's word, the principles of God's word. Be who God made you to be. You'll be different to others. That's what God wants. And he wants us to be united. And we're not home yet. We don't get it all right. But we are to be faithful, even in the midst of opposition. The last paragraph, the two points are... We all need consistent models to imitate and true models both are gentle but they also admonish us, correcting us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is the church of the Lord Jesus. We are your servants and your stewards. You have entrusted to us your gospel and the work of the kingdom. Could you enable us, please, to be faithful, reliable, diligent? Lord, we haven't arrived at home yet, so help us to endure. Make us continue to help us to be people of the book, not to go beyond what is written, but to evaluate everything we do by the truth of your revelation. And Lord, you're the creator, you're the one who shaped us and gifted us, Help us to be who you created us to be, to fulfill our role and function in the body. And Lord, in the midst of our differences, unite us, that Jesus might be seen. It's in his name that we pray. Everybody said? Invite you all to stand with us as we sing our last songs. Please stand. Let all of our lives live for His glory as we go away today.
What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? What good is it to make a sweet sound but remain proud in fear of God's mercy? I offer my all and take my life, let it be everything, all of me. Here I am, use me for your glory. In everything I say and do, let my life honor you. Here I am, living for your glory. The road I'm on it leads nowhere without you. And the life I live it finds meaning in surrender.
just before we close in prayer, just letting you know that uh, Pastor David Butterfield will be going on long service leave tomorrow for a couple of weeks heading to Canada. So we'll pray for him also. Uh, let's pray as we finish off. Lord God, you are the amazing, indescribable God, the one whom we ought to fear. You sent your son Jesus to level the playing field that we all come to the foot of the cross, the same sinners saved by grace. Humble us this morning, Lord, to be your servants and your stewards under you, not dividing or boasting in ourselves. Help us to use what you've entrusted us for your glory. Work in 